Hi there, and welcome to another episode of Veterinary Journal Club. Um, we are going to do a vet talk today, and uh, th- today we're going to talk about um, transfusions. This has come up several times in the last few weeks that I've been on clinics, and so um, just seemed like it was a, a good topic to address. So um, we'll, we'll stick with you know the typical question and answer format where Topher, our producer, Slash my husband will play the part of the uninformed random person who has maybe some questions about transfusions and um, and that'll make it so it's less of me just droning on and on and on. So yeah, that's the scoop. Uh, transfusions. Transfusions. Specifically in dogs and cats because that's, that's where cats. my expertise is. Um, so like what, what do you think about? Like what's the first thing you... You know what? I, sh- I should clarify. We're going to do red blood cell transfusions. Oh, yeah. As Ooh. opposed to. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, duh. So, um, so sometimes we just transfuse plasma. Yeah. Um, or I think you get more it. money for plasma, right? Yeah. If you're donating plasma, for some reason you get paid for that. Versus if you donate red blood cells, you donate. So I guess you're not donating plasma. You're selling your plasma and yeah, donating yeah. your red blood cells. Why that is, I, I don't actually, I've actually wondered that I myself. because like, it's a bigger needle? No. No. <laughs> no, it's all the same. Because when they when they collect your blood, um, it, depending on how they do it, they, they're going to collect whole blood. They can't, um, unless they're running it through an apheresis machine, whole which they blood. usually aren't. Whole blood. <laughs> okay, so yeah, let's start with that. <laughs> what are the different transfusion products? There's actually a lot, but we'll keep it simple for today. Um, so whole blood would be all of it, everything that's contained yeah. within your bloodstream, blood. which is red blood cells, white blood cells, which we don't actually care about, um, platelets, and then the plasma component. And the plasma component is mostly water. It's going to have electrolytes, but then you're going to have other non-cellular things like clotting factors and maybe antibodies and, and stuff like that. Hopefully not a ton of antigens. Um, and then there are the, so what you can do is you donate whole blood and then we can process that blood into its separate components. Um, and so the, the two most common components that we will separate that into is red blood cells, at which point we call them packed red blood cells because, I don't know, you centrifuge them and you pack them down, I guess. Um, and then the, the you know, rest of that would then be the plasma. Um, so, yeah, that's, those are the main things. And then the nice thing is plasma, you can freeze which is pretty cool because there's not cell. We don't yeah, care about no the cells, cells right? You can, yeah, you can't you can't freeze cells. They don't do so well with that. Um, but the plasma you can freeze, um, which means it can have a, a lot longer shelf life. Um, whereas the the cells you can't you can't freeze them. You can refrigerate red blood cells and they'll be okay, um, but you can't freeze them. the The sad part is uh, platelets you kind of lose if you even refrigerate them. So platelets, you can, depending on how fast your centrifuge is, um, so the speed that you centrifuge your your blood at, you can do, um, you can separate out the platelets from the rest of the plasma, but that is not routinely done. Because once you refrigerate or freeze or freeze the plasma, the platelets are kind of not not super effective anymore. Um, Do you need platelets for anything? All Mm -hmm. sorts of things. Yes, platelets are super important. Not in your body, but like, would you need to put platelets in and something? Yeah, and something that doesn't have enough platelets. Uh So platelets are really important for clotting. Um, We're not going to get into this. I'm not going to go on a tangent on on that. But yes, platelets are so incredibly important. Um, They're a really important almost cell. Um, so they're not technically considered a cell because they don't have a nucleus, but other than not having a nucleus, like they're, they're pretty awesome little cell lits. 
I don't know what you want to call them. Anyway, um, but they just, they're not, they're not the hardiest of almost cells. And so they don't um, hold up well to massive changes in temperature. Um, okay. But that's for another talk. So we're going to focus on the packed red blood cells or, or maybe the whole blood component, but we're going to, we're going to focus on the red blood cells um, and transfusing of that component. So when you think about that. When I think about that, I think about um, patients that have lost a lot of blood, like they've been attacked by another animal. Yeah. Or they have some sort of cut and they've bled a lot. Mm -hmm. Or um, they've had some sort of surgery and it didn't quite go well and they bled out some, or it went well and they just bled out a lot and they need it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's a lot of bleeding and yeah, that is- <laughs> that's, that's when you need blood when you bleed it. Yeah. So that is one of the reasons that you might need blood. So there's actually, um, what you're talking about though, is one of the causes of anemia. So anemia just means you don't have enough red blood cells in yeah, your Yeah. That's when you can't give blood, right? Yeah. No, you definitely shouldn't give blood. That's when you should receive yeah, blood. Yeah. I remember in college, it's what everybody would say. They would go and I was like, oh, I couldn't give blood because I have anemia. Oh, that's, that's not- that shouldn't be that common. It was very common when I was in college. I don't know. <laughs> that's not that's not normal. They might have like standards for like, oh, maybe if you're at the low end of normal. But like anemia is not just like this thing that everybody has sometimes. Like that's so weird. I mean, maybe if you went to were the you in like of Florida. A, were you like in like a weird sickly dorm? Like where all the sick people lived or something? Oh yeah, it's a dorm. Oh. Everybody's sick all <laughs> no, the time. That's not that's so weird. Okay. So maybe we're not gonna talk about people anymore because that that's super weird anyway uh not usually an issue but yes you should be healthy and you should not be anemic um when you donate blood but um if you have anemia you might might i emphasize might we'll talk about this you might need a transfusion of red blood cells um and there's three main reasons that you could be anemic loss as you've been describing so if you get cut and you're bleeding um but also you could um sometimes your body goes haywire and destroys your own blood red blood cells right stupid so it's like in a hemolytic anemia yeah it is it is pretty stupid but it does happen sometimes sometimes it happens not because the immune system well it's still the immune system kind of going haywire but like if you had an infection where there was like an organism a pathogen like a bacteria in your red blood cells and in trying to destroy that you destroy your red blood cells too yeah collateral damage Yeah, or it could be that the organism itself is destroying your blood cells. So it could be a hemolytic process. Or sometimes um, your bone marrow gets broken, um, and that's where your red blood cells are being made for the most part, the vast majority of them. And so if there was some sort of um, bone marrow problem or just a lack of production, um, because um, red blood cells don't live forever, even under the best of circumstances. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you get, you get about a month or so um, is, the, is the life of a red blood cell. Um, so if you just stop making them, eventually <laughs> you're going to run out. So... Those are the three main big picture reasons that you might need a transfusion. But just because you have anemia, as I guess you learned from your friends in college, doesn't mean you need a transfusion. Probably means you shouldn't donate your blood um, exactly. because you sound unwell. But um, but you might not necessarily need a transfusion. Um, and this is where this is where I think it gets tricky um, because it hasn't been that long in human history that we've been able to give transfusions um, from one individual to another. Yeah, usually it's been the opposite, right? 
What do you mean? Like a bloodletting. Oh, bloodletting. Yeah. It was like, oh, you must have something dirty in your blood. So we better just leak it out. And yeah. sometimes they would go overboard and then you just, you would die. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we don't, we don't do a whole lot of bloodletting anymore. There are a few circumstances, really one. I can think of one circumstance where you might do bloodletting and that's high blood pressure. No. Oh. Um, it's a good guess though. Um, but no, that would not be the time to do it. It wasn't then really we, a guess. Then we would Just give like a joke. Oh, oh. hang on. Where's, which is the button? It was a good joke. Oh, sorry. Oh. <laughs> I don't, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I got to play with the buttons and I, I thought you were going to smack my hand. I thought you were going to smack my hand. Yeah, that's the one I know. <laughs> Anyhow, where were we? Uh, not high blood pressure, but like polycythemia. So if you're, oh, that's, per- that was obvious. Yeah. Polycythemia. Yeah, it's the opposite of anemia, um, where you have too many red blood cells. You pr- you overproduce. I mean, there's a few different reasons, but if you have, we're not going to go into a lot of this, but if you have a certain type of polycythemia, then you might end up doing some bloodletting once in a while. But so what's bad about too many red blood cells? Um. So what what Dude, that would you can be do- like? A really good cyclist. No, um, like it, well, there's there's a there's a there's a point where you have too many, and actually it affects the viscosity of your blood. Yeah, and so then you can have syrupy blood, and then it doesn't flow well, and then you have problems. Mm-hmm. So too much blood, too many, too many red blood cells is actually a problem, um, but it has to get pretty high. So if you're like a little bit high, then yeah, it probably would make you a really good cyclist. And I don't know if you guys can hear you the banging the in the background, lo- no. but our cat is going bonkers right now. <laughs> Um, okay, sorry. Some of my workout people talk about that a lot with the the ones that take steroids. Yeah, the they blood the, doping and stuff. Yeah, they get their blood tests back and they're like, "Oh, your blood was really thick. You should probably stop what you're doing." Yeah, whatever like, you're oh, doing okay. is a bad idea. And they're like, "Keep doing it." Yeah. Thanks for the advice. Going to ignore it. Um, yeah, I, you know, people do dumb things. Um, but as a veterinarian, you should not do dumb things for your patient. So we're going to talk about like when do you transfuse and when do you not. Um, so if you're thinking about, if you're listening, you're like, okay, what are the triggers, um, that I would use to transfuse my patient? My guess is a lot of you are going to be thinking, okay, if the anemia gets to a certain severity, right? Like that makes sense. If it falls below a certain percentage and we talk a lot about like hematocrit and hematocrit or a PCV is pack cell volume. Um, it's basically what percentage of your blood is made up of red blood cells. So literally we'll take a sample of blood and we'll put it in a teeny tiny little tube and we'll spin it down and then we'll, we'll line that up and say, okay, this is how much total blood there is. And then literally what percentage of this tube is filled with the red cell part after we centrifuge it down and what is not and the rest of it is not. And so it could be, you know, like 45% would be a normal hematocrit um, or normal PCV. So roughly 45% of the volume of your blood or the mass of your blood is made up of red blood cells and the rest is the plasma and other, other cellular component. So um, if normal is like 45%, then a lot of times I've, I've heard people say, oh, um, if you know, your hematocrit falls below like 20% or something like that, you could also do that in, um, hemoglobin content. Sometimes people, not so much in veterinary medicine, but sometimes in uh, human medicine, they'll talk about the, um, what the hemoglobin content is. And I'm here to tell you that is false. That is not what you should, you should not base whether or not you transfuse a patient on their hematocrit or any, anything that has to do with how much, how many red blood cells do they have? Which is a bit confusing, right? Because yeah, it if they need red blood cells. But how do you know if they need them? Because they don't have enough. Well, how many is enough? Three. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> it's definitely not enough. It's way more than three. But um, this is where it gets a little bit tricky. Um, 
your body is really actually pretty good at adapting to various situations. And so um, like your friends in college who had anemia, they probably had either mild anemia um, yeah, I'm sure it was mild. Or, they, or they were lying to you and they just were afraid of needles and didn't want to get transfused. So they looked it up and they're like, what are the reasons you can't give blood? And somebody was like, if you're anemic, they're like, I have that. That's probably what happened. Let's be honest. Yeah. But anyhow. Um, if they were anemic, um, even if they were severely anemic, they might be totally fine if that anemia happened slowly. Okay. So if you start out with a normal hematocrit of 45% and then you get into a car accident and your spleen is lacerated and you're bleeding into your belly and you very quickly lose a lot of red blood cells or at least lose them to your circulation, um, you're, you're going to be real unhappy. <laughs> you're gonna, your body's going to be really unhappy and you might not necessarily um, see that sudden drop in hematocrit. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, but that's very different than if like you are slowly either losing blood, so you can have a chronic slow blood lice, like if you have a, a stomach ulcer and you're losing blood that way. Or if you have um, probably more likely like a bone marrow issue where you're just not producing it, like your, your hematocrit is gradually going to drop. And meanwhile, your body is getting used to that. And so some patients can come in with pretty severe anemias as far as their numbers are concerned, but they're doing okay. Um, you know, is that ideal? No. Um, but is it, uh, is it something that needs to be transfused? Maybe not. Um, and so you might ask, well, why not? Why wouldn't you just give yeah. it blood, right? Like, yeah, it's like it... antibiotics. Just give it whenever. Oh, yeah. You're very funny. <laughs> um, so, okay. Just like with antibiotics, um, with anything, there's literally any treatment you give, anything that can have an effect can have an adverse effect. Except for oxygen. Unless they're nope. on fire. Even then, exactly. And there's a thing called oxygen toxicity. So too much oxygen make can actually up. be bad. I didn't make that up. Look it up. Google it. Um, so uh, water, anything, anything you can think of. If you get too much of it um, for too long, things like that, it can be bad. Um, and the big problem with red blood cells, in particular foreign red blood cells, meaning red blood cells that were donated by another patient um, and given to you, which can absolutely in some circumstances be life-saving, but can carry risks. So um, those are those are somebody else's cells that might have slightly different um, antigens on them. And so that increases the risk of giving um, or having a transfusion reaction, like an allergic reaction to be like, bah, that's, that's not my blood. I don't like it. And your body goes, destroy it, destroy it. And that can be really bad. Um, or there can be, you know, more minor things. There's the, the, the chance of inadvertently transmitting uh, a disease, an infectious disease. This was really big in the 80s when the AIDS uh, epidemic was, was going on and people didn't actually know about the virus and inadvertently were transfusing people with AIDS or HIV infected blood, which is suboptimal. Um, if you're the recipient of said blood, um, you know, I think transfusion practices have come a long way, even just since the eighties. Uh, and that risk is relatively low, but it's not zero. Um, you know, new viruses as 2020 has reminded us are coming out all the time. And, and, um, and, and so we're not, we don't always know not, that's not a bloodborne virus, but a new bloodborne virus could certainly come out. So the, the, I don't mean to like panic people and be like, oh, if you're going to transfusion, you're going to get infection or you're going to transmit that to your patient. But there are risks. Um, and then there are, you know, adverse uh, effects that might not be like, oh, you're going to die instantly from that. But it might actually cause enough problems that it reduces your chances of recovering. Um, and we learn this from studies in human medicine. What was happening is, uh, you know, many years ago when they were like, holy crap, we can take blood from one person and give it to another person. And 
it can work. Like, you know, not only is it Yeah, like, why is that so easy? Like there's the, the organ transplant thing. So it's just cells to cells. An organ is essentially cells to cells, but you have to have like all these lists and things and blah, 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 and compatibility. But blood, it's like, oh, you're one of these five or... Yeah, this one works for everybody. It's because the, it's really the um, the number of antibodies and antigens that you express in various tissues and things like that. And now we don't do a lot of organ transplants in animals. We do a little bit, um, but not a whole lot. And so um, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on organ transplant physiology. Um, but basically, what this has to do with is that is foreign tissue, uh, and there is enough expression of foreign antigen on that tissue um, that it's hard to find compatibility. Right. So like organs have, like blood has a couple antigens, right? Yeah, there's fewer, right? Like your red blood cells. organs yeah. have a bunch of their own. There's a lot of different types yeah. of cells, yeah. And so in in blood, it, like so people, most people are fairly familiar with like the blood types in people. Right. What are, Do you know what they are? Uh, there's A, A, B, B, O, and then there's positive and negative. Right? Yeah, exactly. And so what those letters and things all stand for is um, the expression of various antigens. And so um, if you are, you're going to be born with a certain number of, um, or you're going to be born with whatever antigens, so like proteins that you express um, on your on the surface of your red blood cells. Um, but not only that, you are also going to be born with the memory of, um, or basically the ability you have antigen, or excuse me, antibodies that are um, against the other blood types. So if you are blood type A, then you, um, you don't have antibodies against type A, because that's you, you don't want to attack your own cells, um, but you will have antibodies against type B blood. So that if you were, your blood were to come in contact with type B blood, your body would be like, bah, go crazy. And it would start to destroy those cells. And that's, that's not good. We don't want that. Um, and then, um, so then you have like a, a person who's type AB, that means they have the antigens for both A and B, which means they don't have antibodies for A or B. So that they would be considered, um, if they're AB negative, they would be considered a universal recipient. So any type of blood they can get because they don't have any of the antibodies. If you're um, type O, um, particularly O negative, then you would uh, you would be, sorry, AB positive would be the universal recipient. O negative means that you don't have any of the antigens, but you're going to have all of the antibodies. So you're a universal donor. You don't have any pre-existing antibodies against all the other proteins, um, but you also you have all the antibodies there. So you, any, you get any foreign blood, and it's like bah, you're bad, it's bad, bad, bad. Um, anyway, that's what people are sort of used to. So we like to like match people up with the type, the blood type that they are, um, and it's a little different. It's actually fairly similar in cats. Um, cats have a similar blood typing system. Um, it's A, B, and AB. Um, but they, and they have same thing. They have pre-existing, like without ever having been exposed to, um, foreign blood. So an, a type A cat, which is what our cats probably are. Um, if they were to get blood from a B cat, they'd be like, bad, bad, bad. I, that that's foreign. I don't like it. I'm going to destroy it. Versus dogs don't actually have pre-existing antibodies against the other blood types. So there are, they have blood types um, and they, we name them differently. They're instead of letters, we do numbers. So like the, the most um, 
important one is DEA 1.1 and DEA just stands for dog erythrocyte antigen and erythrocyte is just a long fancy word to mean red blood cell. So DEA 1.1 is the big antigen in dogs. And, um, but if you're a dog and you're DEA 1.1 negative, you don't have antibodies already for DEA um, 1.1 positive. Like you can get any type of blood once, but once you've been exposed to it, then your body's like, wait a minute. (laughs) I, I don't know who you are. And then that will make the memory cell so that the next time you see weird. it. It is. Isn't that weird? Is um, there a reason for that? Probably. You don't know it. Um, like evolutionarily, probably is just how they developed. There wasn't, yeah, there yeah. wasn't necessarily One an advantage. Like, hey, can't be getting blood transfusions from the wrong dogs. Right? Um, yeah, that's probably what it was. Yeah. Um, no, it, it, it's got to be something back in um, when dogs and different species were evolving. Everybody gets one. Yeah, you get one free one. Um, what every dogs can have one free transfusion. After that, not so much. We still like to type them so that we don't inadvertently, accidentally prime a dog who didn't already have those um, antigens. Um, but so, if they get the rate, right type of blood, can they then still get the wrong type once? Yes, in theory, yes. And isn't there a thing too with the the cat blood types? Like almost all cats are one of them. In this country. In this country. Yeah. So that's what, that's actually really interesting. So in North America, um, the vast majority of cats are type A and there's a handful that are type B. But if you go down under um, in like Australia, it's pretty much the opposite. So it's like 80% of cats in, Is that in Australia. they're marsupial cats? Uh, no, I think it's just because they're on the, the bottom hemisphere. Yeah. That, yeah, it's just upside down. Oh, it's down. The, the magnetic field being reversed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I think it's really just, yeah, probably, uh, I don't know, maybe somebody carried their fancy, you know, Persian cats um, when they were visiting Australia and then all the domestic cats went bonkers and it's probably just kind of um, what cats. Persian cats that have the other blood? Um, Is that a thing? It's, yeah, so the fancier breeds, what I call the fancier breeds. So yeah, some of the, um, so most most of the domestic short-haired and long-haired cats, basically the the mutts the mixed breed cats in the united states almost all um and most of the other cats um still have type a but occasionally you will find uh, a purebred um fancy breed cat that um is more likely to have type b but whatever um the the vast majority in the u.s are going to be type a but we do we get our type b cats um but if you really wanted to find a type b cat you should definitely go to australia to get one your odds are much better um anyway because of some of that, some of that is the reason that you don't want to just willy-nilly transfuse. Um, and I think we were talking about like when transfusions first started and people were like, what? This is amazing. We yeah. can totally do this. This is awesome. And then they were like, everybody gets a transfusion. It was like over. It was like, you get a transfusion. You get a transfusion. Oh, you're missing like three red blood cells. Those three red blood cells you thought were enough. They're, they're not. But if you're missing three, we better replace those three. Um, and so liberal transfusion uh, practices were going on for a really long time. And everybody was happy. This is this is lovely. We like this. Everybody, blood is great. We know it's important. So of course you want to have like a lot of a lot of red blood cells, um, even if you're not like blood doping for the Olympics. Um, but then there are um, this is I actually think this is really fascinating. So there are um, groups in the world that, for religious reasons, won't accept a transfusion. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses are one of these groups, and so for their their part of their religious beliefs is that they don't accept transfusions or I'm pretty sure they can't accept like an organ transplant either. Um, and that's, that's part of, that's part of their religion. And so what, um, people were observing in human medicine was that like some of these patients that were refusing their transfusions, like seemed like they were maybe doing better 
than the patients who were getting the transfusions. And so they went back and they started looking at this and they, they did some studies, starting with some retrospective studies. And so they used the sort of natural experiment where you had people who refused a transfusion. So the doctors are like, you should get a transfusion. They're like, no, thanks. Um, and then they were able to go back and collect all those patients that had like the same disease process. And they said, you know what? Overall, these patients who are refusing the transfusion might actually be doing better. And <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit sad for the people who are like, go transfusions, go. And uh, so then they started saying, maybe we need to reevaluate this. So then they, that, that kind of opened up the, um, the idea that maybe our super liberal transfusion practices need to be reevaluated. And so there was a reckoning and people said, all right, may, maybe this is, is not um, such a good plan and we need to uh, kind of consider a little bit more strongly who really needs it and what are the criteria. So transfusion um, practices became more restrictive. Um, as is often the case, they may have swung a little too far in the other direction for at least some patients. Um, so it might depend on what the underlying problem is. And uh, again, kind of what I was alluding to at the beginning, how quickly did you become anemic? So I've had plenty of patients that um, had a hematocrit in the, the low teens that didn't get it, that I didn't think needed a transfusion and they did okay. Um, you know, ultimately did fine depending on what the underlying disease process was. And I've had patients where I've transfused them when I've measured their hematocrit to be in like the 30s or maybe low 40s. Um, and you might be like, well, you're confusing me then. Yeah, it seems like. I just make it, it up as like, I go. Yeah, and you're just like, you look at them. Uh, ah, yeah. his nose is cold and wet. <laughs> oh, yep. Transfusion. Transfusion. Yeah. Actually, what I do is I Dry have this nose? coin. No. I have this coin that I flip. That's how I decide. Yeah. Yeah. No, not even a little bit. So um, what I will do. So the thing you mentioned at the beginning, when do you need a transfusion? And you were like, when you're bleeding, right? That makes obvious sense. Well, when you are bleeding, especially if you're bleeding quickly, you tend to bleed whole blood, right? If I cut your vessel... All of the blood is going to leak yeah. out, both the cells and the water component. Right. And what I said at the beginning is when we measure hematocrit, we're looking at the percentage of blood that is red blood cells. Well, if you lose whole blood, what is, what is that going to do to the percentage of red blood cells? Keep it the same. It's not going to change. Good job. High five for Ooh. you. Yeah, you're so good at this. So, um, so your hematocrit, the percentage of red blood cells in your body is not changed, but the total amount of red blood cells is absolutely changed. The hematocrit won't change unless um, or until we replace the water component. Now, your body will do that to some degree because you have water in other parts of your body, not just in your bloodstream, and you will steal some of the water from like your interstitial space, all that, all that stuff in between your tissues. You'll steal some, still steal some of that water and bring it into your blood. Or like a doctor will come along and put a catheter in and give you just the fluid component, and then you'll see the hematocrit drop. Um, but as you said, you're losing whole blood. Your hematocrit isn't going to change. So there are times when I see a patient that is bleeding rapidly, I don't care what the hematocrit is. I can see that they're bleeding or I know that they're bleeding where, you know, I figured that right. out. Do you have a test where you can tell like how much blood is it? Like would blood pressure maybe like a, do that? Or? Um, it's not going to tell me directly how much blood. So this is a judgment call. So when this happens, an animal got hit by a car and I do a quick ultrasound and I see there's a ton of fluid in the belly and maybe I, I, I get a sample. I tap that with a needle and I get a little, I go, yep, it's definitely blood. And I go, this patient is dying because they are in shock. Um, and I can tell that they're bleeding and I know that if they keep bleeding, they will die. Like that, that experiment has been done time and time again. We know that if you lose too much blood, you exsanguinate and you die. Um, so I'm sitting here, I'm saying, okay, this patient is dying um, because of blood loss. 
Um, they're going to, they're going to head down this, this road. And so if I only, uh, replace the water component, that might not cut it. Um, so with severe active blood loss, then I will just transfuse them regardless of what the, the number tells me. Now, how do I know for sure? Is that the right thing? It, that's a tough call, right? Um, and if you line up several criticalists in a row, we might not necessarily all make that decision at exactly the same time in every situation. Um, so it is a judgment call, but one that, I generally feel pretty confident in saying like, hey, I can see the blood loss. Like I know that's what's happening or I'm reasonably confident that's what's happening and I'm seeing the effects of that. So that is a patient who's tachycardic, um, their pulses are weak. If we measure a blood pressure and we believe it, it's, it might be low. Um, their gums are going to look um, pale pink to white. Uh, their temperature's probably dropping. All the classic signs of shock, um, particularly hypovolemic shock. And you combine that with look, there's blood on the floor instead of in your veins where it's supposed to be. I should probably replace some of that because I know that that patient who becomes um, anemic very quickly doesn't tolerate as well as the patient who becomes anemic over weeks or months. Um, and so, yeah, some of that's experience, I'll be honest. I can't, so there's not like How a number. How urgent is it that you very blood in? Yeah. And so this is the other thing. So um, a lot of times when students get taught like how to give a transfusion, we're usually talking about it in that like, everything's okay kind of stage. Like, oh, this patient is anemic, um, but maybe they've become anemic over time and they're tolerating it reasonably well. And we say, oh yeah, you give these transfusions over four hours. Well, if this is a patient who is bleeding to death and I give the transfusion over four hours, three and a half, like they died, they've been dead for three and a half hours of that transfusion. They died three and a half hours ago. I don't have time to give a transfusion over four hours. So we give it slowly when we can, mostly because we don't want to volume overload them if they're, uh, if, they're, if they're not hypovolemic. But if you have a patient who's bleeding to death, you need to give the transfusion as quickly as you can so that they don't die while you try to get a hold of the bleeding, right? So um, how does that work, giving it to them fast? I would think the, that you'd have like the potential of blowing out some tubes inside of them. If you gave it too fast. Or oh, that no, no, you can give it real stretching? fast. Yeah. Yep, you can give it real fast because you're giving it into the veins and the veins are really stretchy. Yeah. Um, and so just like we can, we can give fluids really quickly, right? So if a patient's bleeding to death, I'm actually going to send somebody to get blood and get that ready. In the meantime, I'm going to give a bag of fluids, which was on the shelf and ready to go right now. And I'm going to give that just to expand the total volume while we're getting the actual red blood cells ready. Um, and I can give that super fast. Yeah, you're actually able to, to tolerate that because you're losing. You're also thinking about you're losing it that fast, right? Mm-hmm. I want to give it as, as fast as you're losing it, um, if not faster, actually. Um, meanwhile, figuring out a plan where how am I going to stop this bleeding? Does it need to go for emergency surgery? Um, is that like, uh, is there an artery that's spurting that I can see and I need to like clamp that off? It, you know, th- those types of things. Um, those are, those are kind of fun situations when I, I like that kind of stuff, which is why I do what I do. Um, if you're sitting there going like, what the heck is wrong with her? Cool. That's job security for me. The fewer of you that like that kind of stuff, um, that's great. But if you are into it, um, you should totally consider a career in emergency critical. Like if the idea of like an artery spurting spurting at you while you have to like race to to stop the bleeding you might want either be a surgeon yeah yeah um you might be a surgeon or a criticalist um if the idea of that like gives you like cold sweats then you know there's still a place for you in vet med and like i said it's good job security for me so i'm okay with that so if they're like bleeding into the stomach and yeah you give a transfusion, can you make it worse by giving the transfusion or is it What do you just, mean? That's a really good question, but I want to know what you mean by that. I mean like, um, or like it just causes more blood to go into the stomach. Um, okay. Or something along those so lines. there's, there's two ways that I would sort of think about that. Um, one is if, 
So if you, when you think about clotting and we've talked a little bit about clotting on this show before, but maybe not, maybe not as extensively as I would like, but remember those platelets that you thought were useless before? I didn't think they were useless. It sounded like you did. Okay. But platelets are really, really important for initially forming clots and, um, and they kind of, you know, they, they need to slow down and like they're, they get sticky when they get activated and they stick together. But imagine like you have a, like a slow flowing creek that it's easy for things to get like caught up and stuck in that. But you have like rapids, like super fast flowing um, rapids. It's going to be harder for things to kind of get stuck together in that. I don't know if that's a very good analogy. But if you think about, no, you're, you're giving me a blank look like, <laughs> what are you talking about, lady? Um, you know what you're saying, but I don't, we'll see. Keep okay. Going. So if you have a patient who is bleeding, um, one of the things the body will do at, locally, it will try to um, slow that bleeding. So you'll vasoconstrict, so you'll narrow um, your vessels. Um, but you also would like to kind of slow down the blood flow in that area. So that will allow the clot to form. Um, so imagine you've got like a, a clot, a little sticky, a ball of, yeah. of cells, um, and then something keeps washing it away. You know, it's like picking yeah. at a scab, right? If you keep picking at the scab, it's, it's, you're never, it's never going to stop bleeding. Um, and so, a, a river of blood coming through might prevent that, that like clot from forming and sticking around. Um, and so low flow states of blood, it's easier for a clot to form. And so one of the worries that, and one of the things people talk about is like, um, uh, hypotensive resuscitation or low blood pressure resuscitation, because if we increase the blood pressure too much, are we going to blow off those clots? That makes sense. It kind of does. But at the same time, if you die, it doesn't matter if you formed a clot. Right. <laughs> so you have to kind of balance out the the need to not um, have the clot blow away um, with the need of you have to keep the patient alive. So you need to have a plan in place if you're going, if, like hypotensive resuscitation is a short term plan, like a 10 to 15 minute plan to get the patient into the operating room or where, whatever you need to do to stop the bleeding. Um, it's not like a long-term, like, oh, just never get their blood pressure normal. And, you know, that'll then, then they can form a clot. I'm like, yeah, cool. Meanwhile, the kidneys are dying. Um, and and that, so that's the low flow or low volume or low pressure resuscitation is a very, very short term, like 10 minutes, get them into the OR. It's not meant to, you know, maintain things for hours. But your question of if you transfuse them, can you make the bleeding worse? Um, so that's one potential issue. Um, but again, if they're going to bleed to death, it's a non-issue. Yeah, you should the be other one, that anyway. Yeah, exactly. The other thing that you were saying, like, is it, are you causing more blood loss to go into the stomach? Yeah, more blood is going to go into the stomach. Um, but I have to transfuse you to keep you alive to, to fix the problem if I can. And if I can't, I should probably stop transfusing you and let you go because otherwise I'm quote unquote wasting that blood which is harsh, but true. Um, and having more blood in your stomach is, is not awesome, but, um, it's better than dying. It's better than, yeah, in general, that's what I would say. Um, you know, if, if you're asking me, if I'm the one bleeding into my stomach, I'd be like, you know what? I'll get over that having extra blood in my stomach part. Um, if you can keep me alive and then fix the problem, please. Thank, thank you very much. Um, so I think that that's one of the mistakes that people make is they, they don't remember that you can, you can bolus blood. You can give it as quickly as you need to. And you should if a patient is dying. Um, and, you know, you have to recognize that they're dying. But the science so it sounds like most emergency needs, like, you need to bolus it almost. 
a lot of this, yeah, I, I like bolus blood be. a lot. Yeah. If they're, if they're showing, you know, severe clinical signs, give it to them quickly. Yeah. Now, how quickly you give that to them can depend on the situation. The, the more severely affected they are, then the faster you need to give it. Like I'll give a tra- the entire transfusion over like a couple of minutes. Um, we had a case the other day where the um, patient had died essentially from its severe anemia. It had a bad flea anemia. Um, and by the time it got to us, it had already arrested, but fairly recently so we did cpr and part of that cpr was giving it blood and we bolus the blood everybody kind of looked at me funny i was like give it faster faster like squeeze it in and was in within a couple of minutes um that particular patient didn't come back but i have had them before where they have like you bolus the blood and then they like pop up like zombies like oh okay cool thanks we're good now um that's rather satisfying um and i don't know the machines you use in there what how do you make it go in faster when i watch tv shows there's a bag hanging yeah and you can squeeze that bag. You squeeze the bag. Is that how you bolus it? It can be. Yeah. How are you supposed to do it? Uh, that is one way. Um, so the other is thing, like, like a pump or something. You there? do have pumps, but the pumps are usually not fast enough. Yeah. The pumps aren't fast enough to squeeze it in. But at, in like in this case, it was a cat, and so the total volume that we were transfusing the cat can fit in one syringe. So we just pulled it up in a syringe and this pushed the uh-huh. syringe quickly. Um, but we also have. That. How do you keep it from? Um, so you have the, I guess the catheter or whatever, mm-hmm. and yeah, what makes it uh, like the blood not like pop around the edges. So it like inflates the vein or whatever around yeah. the middle thing and then like blasts out the side. Yeah. If you do that? put it under too much pressure, that could happen. But that would take a lot of pressure. Yeah. Yeah. So veins are actually pretty distensible. Like they, um, that's what they're made for. Arteries, not so much. Arteries have a muscle wall and they don't, they don't distend as much, but veins are there for, we call, I call them capacitance. They're, they're like big, large balloons. veins. Yeah, they are. And so they're pretty darn stretchy. We also put the catheter, the catheter is pretty long compared to, so like you've put a little hole in so the there's catheter. there's a lot of friction um, almost. Well, I I guess surface tension is probably, yeah, there's some surface tension. It's mostly, but it's also flowing, right? Like you're injecting this into a vessel Mm -hmm. where the blood is also flowing. Um, and so, uh, but I think it's mostly just that the veins can, can, uh, take that extra capacity. Yeah. And again, if you're bolusing it, it's probably because they have, you've never had a blowout is what you're saying. Uh, sometimes you will, like if there's something impeding you from giving that or you're giving it over high pressure, then you can, but usually what will happen is it'll actually, um, you'll have it leak around the, the needle and syringe. Yeah. That's what I envision happening. If you're doing like a big bolus like that, it would kind of usually not though. Yeah. If so, there's a problem, there's an obstruction somewhere. Um, but yeah, if there's not an obstruction that shouldn't happen, you can give it fast, real, real fast. Yeah. Don't be afraid. Yeah, no, 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 don't be afraid. Don't squeeze um, too hard. The smaller the catheter you're giving it through, the, the more resistance you will face. And so you won't be able to squeeze it as hard as maybe you want to. But I think you start to get a feel for like how much yeah. can you push on the syringe. Um, but we also have pressure bags. So, you know, you're talking about the bag that was hanging. Mm-hmm. We have a little bag. It's like you um, slide a sleeve over it and it's got one side that's essentially a balloon and you can inflate the balloon. Um, and that mm-hmm. will, it's instead of manually squeezing the bag, yeah. that's how that you get sense. it in fast. Yeah. So fast, roll, roll fast. And Unless then, you don't have to, and then give it slower. Going back to the anemic patients, yeah, all like, of these patients. Well, the the ones that aren't chronic. I guess, okay, are the okay. ones that are the ones chronic, that you can measure the low. Yeah, the ones levels. where yeah. there's it seems they seem okay. Yeah. Um, what do you do with them? Well, you fix the underlying problem, but some sometimes those um, they might not be actively dying. Like, oh my god, this patient. Yeah, they're not die. dying at all. They um, just come in. They have but, the low hematocrit or whatever. Yeah, they have a low hematocrit. So when do you um, transfuse those? That is still going to be based on their clinical signs. Okay, so you might have a patient who's okay, like they walked in, they're they're relatively stable, but. 
maybe they're weak um, or, you know, maybe their pulses aren't very good or maybe their heart rate is a little high. Not in the like, holy crap, it's going to die right now. It's in shock. Um, but they might be working extra hard because of the anemia. That's a patient should get a transfusion. Um, so weakness, um, general lethargy, um, certainly tachycardia, a fast heart rate, things like that would be triggers to transfuse even that patient, even though it's like relatively stable. But the patient that's normal, like its heart rate is normal, its right. pulses are fine. Like you don't need to transfuse that one. Keep an eye on it because it's anemic. If it gets worse, that could change. Mm-hmm. There um, may but, be something else wrong that's causing it to uh, have the problems, what you're saying? It's not necessarily even what the cause. It's just they are tolerating the anemia. Yeah. And if they're tolerating the anemia, then you don't have to transfuse them right now. Watch them because they might well, get more anemic. I trying to get to is how do you fix their Oh, anemia. gotcha. Yeah. The, and that's a really good point because a transfusion is just a Band-Aid, right? You still have to fix the underlying problem. So if they're hemorrhaging, the, the blood will keep them alive until you stop the blood loss. Like you have to stop that. If it's a bone marrow problem, you have to try to identify what the bone marrow problem is. Is it an immune mediated problem where you're attacking your cells? Is it um, a toxicity like, um, you know, estrogen toxicity or something like that? Um, Or is it an infectious disease that we need to treat? So on and so forth. Sometimes we can't. Sometimes we figure out what it is and we go, oh, there's no treatment for this. Bummer. Um, and then you manage it as best you can. And maybe occasionally you'll transfuse those patients. Um, but yeah, the chronic anemia is where they're, yes, they're anemic. Yes, this is a problem. Um, we need to try to figure out what that is and treat the underlying cause if we can. Um, maybe transfuse them as a Band-Aid to kind of get you time so you can figure things out or for the treatment to have its effect. Um, just like if it's hemorrhaging, then yeah, the, the blood helps with that, but ultimately you have to stop the bleeding. Yeah. But basically if you were able to treat the underlying cause, it would probably go back to normal. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. If you can treat the underlying cause, the bone will be like, Oh cool. Hey, we're back guys. Um, and it eventually will, um, increase uh, the hematocrit on its own. So some of these patients get really anemic. You figure it out, you treat them. They never need a transfusion. Um, and eventually they come up to normal and that that would be the ideal scenario and that patient never needed a transfusion um so just being anemic even severely anemic doesn't mean you have to have a transfusion unless you're bleeding to death and then give it to them even even if the hematocrit doesn't necessarily reflect that yet because by the time it does it might be too late and that's it that's all you need to know about transfusions that's everything that's all of it that's yeah i think that i think that was a good bit of it for red blood cells I guess the other uh, thing is, um, like, how much do you typically use? Oh, yeah, good week? question. Um, the right amount. Well, I'm not for <laughs> per patient, but just, like, oh. in general. Like, if I were to start my own vet clinic, oh. how much should I have around? That is a, that's a really good question. It's going to depend on a couple of factors. One, how much do you think you're going to use? Because red blood cells have a shelf life, uh, a fridge life. Of about 30 days. Yeah. So and, it's, and it's really a bummer to waste those cells. Now, at the end of the day, whoever your donor, you know, dog or cat was, is going to make more as long as they're healthy, right? Like you but can, there's regulations you, on that too, right? Regulation. Yeah, you don't want to, obviously, you can't, um, you know, steal a dog's blood all the time. You have to give them plenty of time, usually several, you know, like two or three months between mm-hmm. um, donations at least is ideal. Um, so people will do it differently. If you are seeing enough emergency cases that having, um, that you're transfusing once a month, then, and this is obviously for different species, um, then it might be worthwhile for you to say, I, I keep one unit of blood on, in our fridge. 
Um, that's the thing that we just keep in the hospital. Um, what some clinics do is rather than having a unit of blood that's already been pulled, um, uh, some vets will be like, oh, my dog is a 40 uh, kilogram Labrador and he's a pretty good dog. And when we have a patient that needs transfusion, we bring him in and we pull blood from that dog and we immediately give it to the other dog. Um, cool. So, so it's the sort of thing you don't need like a huge stock. You don't, you don't have to. You don't if, have to have a cold room just full of bags of blood. No. Um, now, obviously, if a patient is bleeding to death, you don't have time to, you know, ha- you know, call up your spouse and be like, hey, bring Joey in. We need a unit of blood again. Um, that patient has died mm-hmm. uh, in that time frame. So, so like the, ER centers. Yeah. So if you're in a trauma like center or surgical. Centers. Yeah, exactly. So if you're a busy emergency clinic, you're going to have, you need to have blood on hand. Um, if you are even just a, you don't have to be an emergency clinic, but just a busy enough clinic that it's, you see enough cases to say that's worthwhile. You might be in a clinic where you say, look, once a year we have a patient that needs a blood transfusion urgently and that's not enough to justify having it because we're going to waste 11 units of blood. Um, But you don't have to process your own blood. You can purchase them from units or or from uh, blood banks. So there are a number of blood banks, uh, veterinary blood banks across the country and that's what a lot of people do rather than worrying about processing it themselves. low interest rates right now too. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. No, it was this one. Um, yeah, so there are, there are a number of units, uh, different regions in the country that, and at your practice, and this is what a lot of places do, um, cause it's a lot easier. You don't have to have the centrifuge. You can have different products and you just say, Hey, they can usually overnight products to you. Um, so if you have a patient that's like, yeah, Hey, you get it, it on Amazon, right? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't looked for that. We should check. Um, you can probably buy the, the bags and stuff like that. Anyway, um, you'll figure that kind of stuff out, but you, you can purchase blood products um, from from different uh, companies and have them shipped to you. But if you are going to be seeing a reasonable number of emergencies, then it is a good idea to have at least a few units on hand. If you're a big facility, then you're going to have a lot of units on hand and you're going to probably manage your own blood bank, which is what a lot of bigger hospitals do. Um, so they just screen patients, um, you know, they get yearly exams, make sure they're up to date on vaccines and they get their flea and heartworm prevention and you do some infectious disease testing usually about once a year to make sure that they're uh, good candidates and that they're healthy and then they come in and donate on a regular basis and that way we can keep blood on the shelves and things. So um, as well as plasma and the other the other components sometimes. But um, yeah, that's just going to depend on your individual situation, what your clinic is, what your clinic's needs are and, and what seems practical. Um, Isn't there a fake blood too? Like a synthetic oh, blood? Oh yeah, oxyglobin. Uh, some, a lot of people listening probably haven't even heard of that or ever worked with that. So a it's a whole HBO show. What? True Blood. Oh, you're such a goof. I never know the weird jokes you're making, Uh Um, even though I watched that show with you. Um, So no, there's a product called Oxyglobin, um, which is a synthetic. It's based from uh, bovine uh, hemoglobin. Is it synthetic or is it um, taken from bovine? It's synthetic, but it is based on the bovine hemoglobin. I am not 100% sure about that, though. Yeah. Google that. Look it up yourself. Um, but it was it was a fabulous product. Used to really like it. And then something happened with the company and they went under or something or they decided they want to, I don't know. I don't know the details. They decided they didn't want to make it anymore, which was real sad because it was cool because it was um, shelf stable. It had a much longer shelf life than real, um, normal, actual, non-synthetic blood. Um, and then it was gone. And then we had a glimmer of hope where they were like, another company had like, purchase the rights to um, process it or, or make make their own or whatever. 
And then it was like, yeah, it's going to come back. But then it never really did. Mm. There was like a Sounds a like boost. an investment opportunity. Yeah. If you want to do there. that, you should totally do it. You'll make dozens of dollars. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it started, it was developed for use in the military as a lot of things like this are. And then um, people were having a lot of bad reactions to it. Um, but veterinary patients, dogs and cats were like, woohoo, this is life-saving. It was pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, it's not currently available to my knowledge. If it is, let me know. Uh, if you're, if you're a part of the company that's making it, give us, give us a ring. Yeah. We should check Amazon for that too. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, those kinds of things are really cool, but not to my knowledge currently available. Correct me if I'm wrong. If you're out there and you know that differently, please tell me and then I will order some. And how can they tell us? Oh yeah. Uh, and if you have questions, comments, or want to correct anything I've said, or if you want to tell me about where I can get some oxyglobin, please reach out to us at veterinary journal club, uh, or veterinary journal club at gmail.com. That's yes, correct. That's and correct. then, or you can tweet us or gram us, um, on Instagram or Twitter. And that handle is vet journal club. I think it's the first time it's been calling gramming. I, yeah, probably. You liked it. It's going to catch on. Yeah. I'm sure of it. At any rate, uh, hope you enjoyed. Hope you maybe learned a little something. Um, but please reach out to us. Give us ideas for other topics for the show. Uh, or if you want to come and join us on the show, that would be really cool too. Send us an email um, or reach out to us in one of the other media things. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye.